James chapter 1. I'm going to read the chapter. It's going to be on the screen so you can see it. That's right. We're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible together. Are you ready? We're going to read out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. Greetings. That's what it says in the heading, actually. But it doesn't say that to you guys. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who, generous, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. <laughs> Sorry, our service dog is... <laughs> Here's my voice. Hang in there, puppy. You're okay. Um, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's, a double-minded, unst- he's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. Its, flowers, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, uh, he will receive the crown of life. And I just lost my place. There it is. Which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, uh, uh, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a, a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the the law of liberty, and and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the Lord. This is the word of God. Today, as we mentioned, is Super Bowl Sunday. I am personally, by the way, it's the, it's the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. It's 
Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, against Patrick Mahomes, the greatest player in the league, and he might even unseat Brady for that title. There you go. I'm just helping you out here. I am cheering for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, partly because they're so fun to watch, and partly because Patrick Mahomes happens to, to come from my hometown of Tyler, Texas. So I have to be a homer and cheer for my guy. Of course, he wasn't even alive back when I was going to school there. But uh, when I was in high school, he, he might have been just born. I don't know. He's, but when I was in high school, I missed out on the East Texas culture of football. You guys have seen the movies of high school football in Texas, Friday Night Lights and things like that. It's all true. It's like crazy football culture in East Texas. Um, I kind of missed out on that because I went to a tiny Christian school with a graduating class of seven. And so we didn't have anywhere close to enough people to have a football team. We did have a soccer team, though. And uh, I, I enjoyed soccer very much. And, and we had a pretty good team. And every year we would, we would compete for our, our, uh, our little league championship. We, we played a smart brand of soccer. We prided ourselves on this, that, that we, we cared a lot about passing and we cared a lot about spacing and timing and these things. Uh, we were a patient team, and we, 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 we played a smart brand of the game. But sometimes we would play against other teams that would um, change that a little bit. I think of our chief rival was a team, the hated Maranatha Warriors. <laughs> Maranatha Warriors. They, uh, we did not like playing against them. They would get under our skin. They had their center forward was a guy named Cam. Cam wore these glasses that had this band to keep him on in the back. He had red hair and he would get under our skin. And partly because he would just say things to initiate trash talk. He actually tattletailed on me one time to the referee even though I didn't do anything but laugh at somebody else's joke. <laughs> Haven't forgiven Cam for that yet. <laughs> the other th reason we didn't like him was because he was good. And his team, he was probably the only really good player on the team. And so they resorted to a thing we lovingly called kickball. Kickball is this. It is a very... Uh, um, cheap, I don't know, kind of a lame strategy where the defense or the, the midfielders just blast the ball as far as they can and let their forward go down and try to score. And, and we, it's so annoying when teams play this because it's like you've got one good player and you're hoping this, it, anyway, we would play and we would get so annoyed. Oh, I hate this brand of soccer. It's so stupid. But guess what? Sometimes in these games, we would get into it. And we would realize, what did I just do? I just got the ball. I had my midfielder open here. But what I did is I blasted the ball to try to get Matt Moore to go score a goal. Wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm playing kickball. We'd go into our, into our halftime speech. And our coach would say, guys, what are you doing? We have to remember to play our game. The book of James is about playing our game. How'd you like that connection? That Thank you. Thank you. I had to work in some sports analogies. Yeah, you followed me. That's good. 
proud of you, proud of you. We're, we're gonna start a series on James here. Today we're just doing an introduction on the book itself. But we are going to, uh, uh, to, to take some time to walk through this book. And here's how we're going to do it. We're taking a page from our guy, Tim Mackey. I say our guy because he's our favorite, uh, uh, the, the scholar behind the Bible Project. And he, um, he lays out this book in a, a, a really cool way where the first chapter, what we just read, is an introduction that touches on a whole bunch of different themes. And then the rest of the book, chapters two through five, are like miniature teachings that stand alone. And uh, there's so many of them, they're like rapid fire, and it's very different than a Pauline epistle. Uh, and so what we're going to do is, is take each one of these, there'll be 12 of them, and we're going to walk through them and preach on them. And while we do it, we're going to be going through a daily devotional that we're going to hand out next week. Okay, sort of like we did with Way of Peace. So we'll be able to meditate on, on scriptures from the book and then uh, from those different topics. So I'm really excited about this and I hope you guys will, will, will join us. But today is just our introduction. So I want to talk about the basics of the book. Okay, so, so, so just the one-on-one of the book. This book, James, is a letter written by a man named Jacob. <laughs> His name in Greek is Jacobus and in Hebrew it's Yaakov which we always pronounce Jacob, but from, from the Greek, a lot of times it's pronounced James. So there you go. Interesting fun fact for you that has nothing to do with anything else this morning. James, if you read the Gospels, was the brother of John, but this isn't that James, because that James was martyred in 45. I keep like, Jen Whitaker shaking her head at me. I, I keep, you think I'm going to zig, Jim? Uh, Jen, I zag. That's what I do. Um, okay. Uh, uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And he wrote this, this book. He, and he was also the leader of the church in, uh, in Jerusalem. He wrote this particular book, as we saw in this heading, to the dispersed Israelites. He, he wrote it to Messianic Jews that were dispersed all throughout the land. Now, why were they dispersed? Well, the Jews had been scattered years ago, the beginning of the Babylonian Empire. And uh, so that was already there. But the Christians, the Jews who, who, had, who had become Christians, uh, also had been scattered due to some persecution that happened shortly after the death of Jesus in, in the book of Acts. So they're all over the place, and he's writing to all of them. Now because he's writing to all of them, he's not, uh, uh, he doesn't have personal communication like, like Paul does, you know. When you read a Pauline epistle, it's sort of like, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, two of my friends at Christ Center, where I just preached last week, grace and peace to you. Tell Mike Kaiser that if he's going to whisper during my sermon, he's going to have to whisper loud enough for someone to actually hear. That kind of thing. Mike is the quietest whisperer I have ever met in my life. That kind of thing. He'll, 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 he'll give shout outs. He'll say, tell these two people to stop fighting. Tell Joshua and Jason to stop fighting. Right? This isn't like that. He's, he's speaking to all these different people out there, so there's no personal correspondence, and he's not addressing a specific situation that's happening in a region. Instead, what he's doing, I think, is, is addressing an, an, sort of an environment. James probably wrote this somewhere around 30 years after Jesus uh, died and was rose again, um, somewhere around 62 AD, and this was a tense age. Tensions were extremely high. You guys remember Palm Sunday. 
Every year we talk about Palm Sunday and how Jesus comes into Jerusalem and people are shouting Hosanna and how it's less of a, a worship service and more of a political rally. Like they really thought that Jesus was coming to become a political leader that would lead uh, uh, the Jews in revolt against Rome. That, that's what many of them thought. You, you remember what happened right at the end of that, immediately following his entry. What happened is he goes and he, he prays over Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Instead of like, man, that was a cool rally. He's not actually particularly happy about this. His heart's broken. Here's what Jesus says. I'm just going to quote it um, from Luke 19. Uh, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from you, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's telling them, he's praying and prophesying. He sees what's gonna happen. He sees where all this volatility and all this anger is going to lead. It's actually going to lead to their destruction within one generation. And it did. In 66 66 AD, the rebellion started and in 70 AD, Jerusalem was completely leveled. James wrote this uh, probably around eight years before that happened. So think about that. All the tension that we see when Jesus is in Jerusalem has been going up and up and up the next few decades. And James is, is leading the church trying to manage all of that. And he's speaking from that environment. There's a ton of tension going on. Here's the tension. You've got the the Romans persecuting the Jews and the Jews wanting to throw off the weight of the Romans. You've got the Christians, uh, Jews, being persecuted by the Jewish aristocracy, the Sadducees and the temple scribes and all these people. You had tensions between rich landowners and and the poor serfs that that, that they worked with. There was a, a ton of like economic oppression going on. There was tension everywhere and things were, uh, Jerusalem was a powder cake. In fact, shortly after James writes this letter, he himself gets murdered. So he's speaking from this environment. How do you speak into an environment that's this full of tension? Well, I don't know what I would say, but we know what James would say because he wrote this letter right there. He, he, he gives them a letter about how to stand firm and live the way God calls us to live. It's a letter of practical wisdom. In fact, it's so practical and so wise, a lot of people call this the Proverbs of the New Testament. The first chapter is just an introduction, and it touches uh, uh, you know, on, on a whole bunch of the themes, as we said. Uh, and and here's, again, here's how it starts. I just want to remind you of the, the first verse here. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Human nature says this. When we're confronted with a threat, confronted with fear, different ways you can respond. But the most common two types are fight or flight. You can do that as individuals, but also corporately. And groups 
have done this. Christians have, have had these same responses, the church throughout the ages. What do we do in times of so much tension? We could fight, we could push back against the darkness, or we could choose flight, fly away, leave civilization, run for the hills. And people have done both of these things over the years. Here's the problem. Neither of those are really great options. Because if you choose flight, you run away from your prophetic call and you lose the opportunity to actually bless the world like Jesus called us to bless. However, if we choose to fight, we can often end up lowering ourselves to the ways of the world in some really unhealthy ways. We can end up mirroring the worst parts of the culture. And this is usually uh, more harmful in the long run. And Pastor Joshua talked about this. Thing. You can't accomplish the, accomplish the purposes of Jesus in a way that is opposed to Jesus. The ends do not justify the means in the kingdom of God. You guys know I like Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message. I have to read you a little bit here from his, uh, his memoir. It's called The Pastor. I highly recommend this book. It's wonderful. So I, I'm, I'm just going to, to read. This is from when he was, a, he was a child, okay? Hang with me. This is good stuff. I went off to school and discovered what the Gospel of John named the world, those people who do not regard God with either reverence or obedience. This knowledge entered my life in the person of Garrison John's The School Bully. About the third day after entering the first grade, Garrison discovered me and took me on as his project for the year. <laughs> he gave me a working knowledge of what 25 years later Richard Niebuhr would give me a more sophisticated understanding of, the tension between Christ and culture. I had been taught in Sunday school not to fight and so had never learned to use my fists. I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and, and school by memorizing bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew about me, some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose, but he picked me for his sport. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out I was a Christian and taunted me with Jesus sissy. I tried to find alternate ways home by making detours through alleys, but he stalked me and he always found me. I arrived home most afternoon bruised and humiliated. My mother told me that this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it. I was also supposed to pray for him. The Bible verses I had memorized, bless and turn, began to get tiresome. I loved going to school. I was learning a lot, finding new friends, adoring my teacher. The classroom was a wonderful place, but after the dismissal bell each day, I had to face Garrison Johns and get my daily beating that I was supposed to assimilate as my blessing. March came. I remember it was March by the weather. The snow was melting, but there were still patches of it here and there. The days were getting longer. I was no longer walking home in the late afternoon dark. And then something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends, and on this day, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing and taunting, working himself up to the main event. 
He had an audience, and that helped. He always did better with an audience. That's when it happened. Totally uncalculated, totally out of character, something snapped within me. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me, at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose. A lovely crimson in the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black his eyes, bust his teeth. A torrent of biblical invective poured from them. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> he wouldn't say it. I hit him again, more blood. I tried again. Say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first convert. <laughs> Garrison Johns was my introduction into the world that was not my home. He was also my introduction to how effortlessly that same world could get into me, making itself perfectly at home under the cover of my Christian language and righteous emotions. Guys, the world is not our home. But if we're not careful, we can end up playing the world's game. We can even end up saying all the right things but completely missing the plot. The book of James calls us to action. Our faith is a faith of action. It's a faith that doesn't run away, but rather it remains steadfast and in the face of all kinds of opposition, all kinds of confusion and stress and hardship. But it only does that when we remember to play our game. We don't play kickball on the soccer field. He's given us something better. He's given us a better way to engage with our friends. And here's the thing. It's not just belief in Jesus. It has to go further than belief. And James is going to push that through this whole letter. It's not enough to just give intellectual assent. All throughout this book, James quotes and references the teachings of Jesus, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll hear echoes of it all the way through. And here's the rub. When we become doers of the word, in other words, when we take the teachings of Jesus, which we can intellectually believe, when we start to practice them, 
the world might think you're a little backward. Because the way of Jesus is a little weird. I want you guys to hear me. This is true. We are different. There's weirdness about us. Embrace it! See, I don't know when we all started becoming obsessed with being relevant. You know? Like the goal is to be relevant to this. Why? If that means that, that we have something to say to our culture, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's good. If it means we can still relate to people, well, that's good. But I feel like we've sort of gotten into this age where it's like, oh, you like that too? Okay, okay, okay. we can do something like that too. It, it reminds me of growing up. I used to love going to the Christian bookstore when I was like in junior high and high school. And I used to love running over and looking at the shelves of CDs. You guys remember this. If you like Pearl Jam, I liked Pearl Jam, then you'll like Skillet or whoever. You know? And it was sort of like, can we just find a way to mimic everything else that's happening? And, and it becomes an unhealthy obsession. Like, can we, and, and, and there's, there's harmless ways, and there's ways where this can be, become a real trap. Like, oh, no, 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 we're, no, 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 I don't, I don't actually, no, 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 I mean, we're cool, dude, like, we're, we're you know what I mean? You guys, the sooner we embrace the fact that we're weird, the better it's going to be for us. You know what I'm saying? We have a different culture. It's a culture of Jesus. It's a culture of Jesus. Now, you could go to, 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 to places sometimes when you think, wow, this is, there's a whole lot of Christians here, and you really can realize quite quickly, wait a minute, this actually doesn't look very much like Jesus. I was raised in the Bible, but there's some beautiful things about East Texas. Love it. But there are some massive gaps, too. And I go, man, that's not like Jesus at all. In fact, I think what happened here is they're trying to catch up to the culture around them. So you start incorporating, well, I like this, so let's put these things together. And suddenly, you're at a weird place. You're not at the teachings of Jesus anymore. You're at this like weird mix of Jesusism plus classic Southern culture. All of these things get mixed in, and it's not recognizable anymore. We got to understand we're going to be a little weird. Take this. I believe, and most of you here do too, I'm sure. This is why we're here. I believe that, that God came down as a man 2,000 years ago. And I, I believe that he was arrested by this empire and they killed him and then he came back to life. And then, and then later on, he actually went up into the sky. I believe that. That's weird. <laughs> and I believe he's going to come again. Do you know how strange that seems from the outside? Don't fight that. No, no, it's not that weird. No, it's, it's weird. This is different. And I fully believe it's true. Do you hear what I'm saying? We just have to be okay with the fact that we're going to be mocked by it for that, you know? We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay that our belief system and our actions are going to conflict. And we just have to be okay with that. 
Don't let that thing of like, we should be accepted. You're probably not going to be by many. But I'll tell you what, you know what trumps all of that? Loving your neighbor. Having an active faith in Jesus Christ. That's incredibly attractive to the world. And they they might go, hey, you're weird, but I'm super interested. (laughs) Because I've been a conformer all my life. We have a unique culture. The way of Jesus is very, very strange and very, very wonderful. And that's what he's called us to. That's what James is calling us to. He taught us, Jesus taught us a better way of speaking to each other, a better way of acting. He shows us a better way of pursuing justice. There's a lot, so much talk about justice now. Jesus shows us a better way to pursue justice, a better way of pursuing wealth, managing wealth. He's given us a better way to pray, a better way of dealing with the innocent people and with guilty people. All of these he talks about in this book and much more. He's also given us a better way to suffer. And that brings us back to the first verses of this book. He points to a better way to suffer. Here's the way Peterson says it in the message from the good folks at Nav Press. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. You ready for this? You gotta have to brace here. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Ouch. You see, I don't think that, that a lot of the church culture that I've been in my life does very well at suffering. Because something hard comes and what do we want to do? We want to pray it away right away. Lord, get me out of here. Lord, please deliver me. It's okay to pray those things. But I think we've gotten one-dimensional about it, especially if we believe that God does miracles. Then everything we have is focused on that thing that needs to be changed and that thing that needs to be fixed. And we're crying out every day, Lord, fix this, fix it. Please, Lord, fix it, fix it. You know, I can't find anywhere in the New Testament when the apostles prayed for safety. You know what they prayed for? (laughs) They prayed for deliverance. Excuse me, they, they prayed for boldness. They prayed that they could be steadfast in the face of trials and sufferings. And that's why you see things like the Apostle Paul singing worship songs in the middle of the night while in that Philippian jail. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for hard times to end. I'm saying we need to to embrace what he's saying here as well, that God works through tough circumstances, that God works through hardship, that he works through stress. God works through angry uh, political uh, 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 tensions. God works even in the midst of a virus that not only is killed a whole lot of people, but has messed with all kinds of economic things and civil liberties things and everything else. God works even in the midst of all of that. God works even when we have to wear a mask. God works in the middle of all of this. And I know my, I've been like, oh gosh, I'm so tired of this happening and this happening. And I'm sure you guys are in the same place. But lest we obsess over the thing that's wrong, 
We need to see what he says here. Do not try to get out of it anything prematurely. There's something that's going on in each and every one of us. God is doing a work. And when we feel that pressure of like, oh, this stuff is, this is not right, things can float to the surface. And that'll be very revealing, and that probably has been revealing for all of us in some different ways. Sometimes healthy things and sometimes really unhealthy things. You guys, embrace the trial. Embrace the stress because God is trying to do something in us. He's trying to teach us to stand firm. We can't, we can't learn that thing if all we're doing is obsessing over the hard thing. Do you hear me? Suffering has much to teach us. And I want to learn how to suffer better. Because the times that I've grown more has not been the times where everything was wonderful. It's normally been other times. In YWAM, we used to ask ourselves this question. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me right now? I'm not saying that you initiated this thing when we went on this outreach and suddenly everything fell through and nothing is going the way we thought it was going to go and everybody's ticked off. What's going on here? You can say, God, you made this happen and I'm mad. Or you could say this, Lord, what is it in the midst of this circumstance that you want to teach me? And I think that's a wonderful question for us to ask. In times like this, what do you want to teach me, Lord? What is it you want to build in me? What is it you want to build in me? Because I want to work with you in that. I don't want to work against you there. I don't want to shut this part down prematurely. What is it you want to teach me? What are you trying to accomplish in my heart, Lord, through all of these things that have gotten us so worked up? Is that a weird thing to do? To embrace a trial? even while we're hoping and praying it'll end? That's a weird thing to do. But we're weird. We're not normal. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. So as we walk through the path of this book, I, I want to ask two things of you. First, I want to ask you to join us in it and, and really participate like we did in Way of Peace, that we can walk through it together through, through the, uh, these devotionals, unless you're doing some other devotional study or, or whatever, totally get that. But I want to invite you, because I think this is going to be a really fruitful thing. But second, I want to say this. As we're preaching and reading through it together, I want you to open up your heart and let this book read you. We're going to be reading it. Let it read you. Let it correct things in your heart invite the conviction. There are some stinging moments. There's some ouch moments. I've already experienced an ouch moment. And we haven't even jumped into the book yet. <laughs> this thing on partiality. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm treating people. This is the sin of partiality. Invite those lights. Invite the sting. The sting is your friend. This is how we learn the way of Jesus. This is how we learn to play his game. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this book being so clear and so practical. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to become people of action, people who act in your way. Teach us your ways, Lord. And I pray that this would be a wonderful season of joyful growth 
even in times that still aren't so joyful, we ask that you would light that inside us. Ignite your joy. Ignite your new hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. 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 If you guys need prayer for anything, good news, we're here and we can pray. Be blessed. We'll see you guys next week.